Good morning, everyone. My name is G. I serve as part of the leadership team here at the City Life Church. Uh, did you enjoy the, uh, the Sasa's testimony? Yeah, what Sasa doesn't tell you is he also met Jason, right? The man of God that she married. So, you know, Christianity worked well for her, you know, not only delivers. <laughs> so, it's a little joke. Um, but great to be with you this morning. Um, I just returned from Israel last night, so uh, I didn't get that much sleep. Uh, so I'm going to need uh, the grace of God to uh, continue this service, uh, continue this sermon. Uh, but the, uh, I know his grace is sufficient and he's with me. So I'll try to press on. Uh, that being said, how many of you here Yes, last week? Yeah, everybody here last week? Okay, two of you were here last week. Um, did you guys enjoy Jay? Yeah? Yeah, I listened to it uh, last week in Israel. So um, if you don't have this amazing app that we have, you're missing out greatly because all the sermons actually go online right away. Um, but the, uh, if you actually heard, he did an amazing job. So can you give Jay a hand this morning again? Um, one another reason why I think he did an excellent job is because he did something that no preacher ever wants to do. What is that? Which is, for me personally, it would be like a nightmare. We, I wake up, it's like, if I get a paragraph to speak on a sermon or whatnot, I'd be like, okay, that's not a problem at all. But Jay covered three chapters last week. I mean, that's like the preacher's nightmare. It's like, how the heck are you going to cover three chapters? But he did an excellent job. I'm so grateful that he was able to uh, extract the essence of that chapters because it's a very important chapter. So um, thank you, Jay. We're continuing our series called No Perfect People Allowed. Church is filled with imperfect people. Now, if you're coming here this morning, say you are perfect, you're perfect being, nothing can deter you. Come and talk to me afterward. I'll make sure to find you your faults somehow, somewhere. I'll find you. If you're married, I'll go to your spouse. Say, How is your husband? Is he perfect as he say he is? A lot of times we are all imperfect beings, but somehow, someway, God got hold of us in some junction of our lives. And this testimony that we heard and many testimonies we heard throughout the series, you found out that it is through Christ and what he has done when we put our faith in Christ that we are, though we are imperfect, we strive for perfection because Jesus is perfect and we strive for that. And believe me, after this life, in, in, in just blink of the eyes, we are all worship the Lord together. Okay? So, let's go to the scripture right away. I don't want to take too much time. Uh, I'm limited in time here. Um, I'm only talking about, that being said, I'm only talking about the Lord's Supper today, which is verse 17 through 34 of chapter 11. Uh, compared to three chapters, that is nothing, right? But for me, it is still a struggle. How do you cover this much information in one setting? So I will try my best. I will go fast, so follow with me. If you get lost, sorry. Chapter 11, verse 17 goes like this. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. 
For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper instead of others. And one is hungry, and other is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks with judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. For if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. This is the word of the Lord. Before we get into today's text, I would like to begin by talking about a little bit of background and the context of today's text. Uh, this information, I'll go try to go fast, so just bear with me. Um, so we'll cover all this before we actually get to the text. First, the Corinth church was established by Paul in 55 to 56 AD. It is mentioned in book of Acts chapter 18. We see that Paul founded this church. The letter of Corinthians first and second, and there are other letters that is not included in the New Testament. It's written in Ephesus during Paul's third missionary journey. There were intellectuals. They were wealthy as far as the church is concerned. And the gifts of the Spirit were very evident. But here it was the issue. The gifts was overshadowed. But gifts overshadowed what was the most important aspect of Christianity which is love. And we see this throughout the whole of Corinthians that Paul is addressing many ways. There were some challenges of the church because of the location of the city. There were sandwiched between the two major ports. There were rule of wealth. People wanted to get rich. Capitalism in a sense, I guess. That leads to social elitism. Uh, there were, were rich that made poor miserable and let they let them know about it. 
Additionally, there were rampant sexual immorality. And some of the things that I mentioned to you um, that I can't say on this pulpit. There was Temple of Aphrodite. Uh, this is where the temple prostitute offered themselves. Uh, and this was just normal in that culture. Finally, there were Hellenistic worldview. Now, if you don't know what Hellenistic worldview is, it's very important for us to understand the New Testament. Basically, Hellenistic, which means Greek worldview. The worldview is interesting to mention. Why? Because the worldview is for you to weigh to see the world. Meaning, if you look at, if you have a glasses like me, if I take these glasses off, I will not see one none of you. But it's the glasses that help me to see you. And in the same way, what the worldview does is it helps me to interpret the things of this world. For example, social injustice. How do you make a sense of it? Now, if you come up with the secular worldview, you will make a certain assumption or judgment of what that is. For example, if you think about prostitution or human trafficking, secularist point of view will be, well, this is a public health issue. Yeah? It is evil, sure, but, you know, we need to find a solution, somehow counter that. But as a believers, now, this is what I want to communicate to you, which is the biblical worldview or Christ-centered worldview. We are looking at the issue with the Christ-centeredness through the eyes and the lens of the word of the Bible that has been entrusted to us. So we make the sense of this world or the things of this world through what God says about this. So when we think of us human trafficking, and what do we say as believers? We say that is evil. That is the evidence of evil in this world, that evil exists in among us. But here's the thing. Because the scripture tells us that we have been created in the image of God, we look at those who are being unjustly being used for a sexual object. We say they never be, should never be. That's what the biblical worldview helps us to make a sense of this world. There are other areas that you can make a sense of it, which is the politics, which I don't want to get into. <laughs> Let's leave that right there. Okay? So biblical worldview. And Paul wants to transform them. You have to understand the church was filled with both Jews and Greeks. And later on, it will turn into more Gentile believers in the church than the Jews. Then you have to think about the Corinthians. They had a Hellenistic worldview growing up, Greek worldview at that, which means they had to be transformed. They had to instill the biblical worldview that helped them to see the world as Christ would see. So for the task of Paul, it was great. There was a lot of issues. There was a problem. My goodness, there was a lot of problem in this church. So much so that he had to write two letters, three, but you don't count that one. Two long letters to address just the Corinth. The other letters, you see, it's always gracious. There are some, maybe six chapters. I mean, 15, 16 chapters in Corinthians and other Second Corinthians as long as just the First Corinthians. So there was a lot of issue. And Paul had to address all this because it's the church that he founded. But he understood that his words mattered to them. 
And so he communicated, he tried to communicate with graciously, but at the same time, very direct voice, which you find in the Corinthians. Not so nice words. But he wanted to correct them. He, in a sense, wanted to rebuke so that the correction may come. So if you were coming to church and wants to just hear the good things, feel good, right? But church is not supposed to because why? The Word of God sometimes confronts our sins. And the Corinthians, they had to deal with all this issue. And one of the problems that that was happening was the Lord's Supper. They were observing this very, very important sacraments considered being a Christian, it is sacraments they observe, it was being missed. They were missing the point of the Lord's Supper. So Paul had to address that. But before I go on, let's talk about the Lord's Supper. What is it? Jesus constituted two ordinances or sacraments for believers. Everybody should know this if you're a believer today. First is a baptism. And the second is the Lord's Supper. Now, the baptism is done one, signifying our new birth in Christ. But the Lord's Supper is to be observed repeatedly throughout the Christian life. It is a sign of continual fellowship with our Lord. In the New Testament, Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John all mention in some form mentions all about the Lord's Supper. In Matthew 26, 26 to 29, it says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many of, for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the dead day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so we have the Lord's Supper. Now, but when you think about the Lord's Supper, it is also another thing, which is Jesus, when he was observing it with his disciples, it was a Passover meal. Now, What's that got to do with us Christians? Much in every way. If you have heard me this before, I think there is a disconnect of a modern Christianity. Today's Christianity, we need to know some of the Jewish practices that pointed to Christ. And the Passover meal was also one of the elements or the feast, they call it. They observe each year, symbolizing uh, remembering the, 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 what God's rescue, in a sense, when he brought Egypt, Israel, out of the Egypt. And so they celebrated in a such a way, but this is what they do. It is a responsibility of the father of the house to teach the child and the children of why they observe these important events. So you might be wondering, well, we're believers, we're Christians. We don't have to observe the Passover. Quite right, we don't have to. But we do remember what Jesus has accomplished. But if you look even the observations, like observance of Jesus with his disciples, 
of the Passover meal, we find that he is also pointing something, which is he is the fulfillment of that Passover meal. John the Baptist, when he see in John chapter, one, John chapter 1, when he saw Jesus coming towards him, he proclaims, Behold, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of this world. And would you believe it? That Lamb of God in the Passover will be captured by the Gentiles, will be sacrificed, will die on our behalf. You see the connection there? Wayne Grudem, uh, systematic theology, says this way, the Old Testament sacrificial meals continually point to the fact that sin were not yet paid for because they looked forward to the Messiah who was to come and take away sins. The Lord's Supper, however, reminds us that Jesus' payment for our sins has already been accomplished. So we now eat the Lord's presence with its great blessing. The Lord's Supper signifies seven things. First, it symbolizes or signifies Christ's death. In the preparation to going to the cross, he observed this Passover meal or the Lord's Supper. And second, our participation in the benefit of Christ's death. That what he has accomplished on the cross is what we are remembering during the Lord's Supper. And three, spiritual nourishment. And I would like to read John 6, 53 to 57. Yes, this is the paper Bible. Yes. It's actually pretty good. You should have a couple of them, actually. John 6, 53 to 57. Bear with me. It's a long chapter, so 53. Here we go. Then Jesus said to them, Surely I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. By the way, after this, a lot of people leave. When he said this, literally many of the people that profess and confess that he is a Messiah leaves him. Just because of what he said here. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, for so he who feeds on me will live because of me. So this is what we are observing during the Lord's Supper. Number four, unity of believers. There is a sense of unifying the believers of Christ, which this was the main issue with Paul, we'll find, in the Corinthians, why he was so upset, in a sense, that he disproved the way the Corinth was observing it, unity of believers. Five, Christ's affirmation of his love towards us. Number six, Christ's assurance of salvation. And finally, our faith in Christ. So who should observe the Lord's Supper? 
First and foremost, those who believe in Jesus Christ and have placed their faith in Him. Second, those who have been baptized and those who are waiting to be baptized can partake of the Lord's Supper. And finally, self-examination. Those who have taken the Lord's Supper seriously before taking the elements. So that is my introduction. Let us go to the text. Divided into three sections. First, Paul issues his problems with the Corinth church. Second, he explained what is the Lord's Supper. And third, finally, how to observe it properly. So in 17 through 23, 22, it, it, it shows that Paul is not satisfied with what's happening. And what was happening during this time was, as mentioned earlier, one of the struggle, one of the issue with the Corinth was there was this sense of social elitism, which the rich or the wealthy would not deal with the poor. Matter of fact, it is the rich who will make sure that poor feel that they were poor. It is not pity seen. But somehow, some way, it has also crept into the church where the social elite or the wealthy of the Corinth church started to reject or despise or even humiliate the poor. And so what was happening? They were having a feast. It is the wealthy who brings the food. They're the one who provides all the elements. It's not like what we observe today. We have a small cup with a small bread. But back then, this is how they observe it, the Corinth. They have a huge feast, and they eat, and they drink. Usually, the wealthy are observing it together. But the poor are not there. Where are they? They're not even included in the service. And that is shocking if you think about it. This is the church. It's like us having, okay, if you're making certain amount of money today, you can come and take the offering. And if you're making below certain socioeconomic, that's who you are, then just wait until we're finished. And that's what we believe in this church. You will leave right away. You'll probably never come back to this church. It's like, what kind of church is this? That's not what we do. Everybody's included, don't worry. But that's what was happening in Corinth. And it is unthinkable, even putting in our thoughts, like, how can that be? But that's what was happening, and there was clear divisions within. Now, in the earlier chapters, it talks about the division. This is the second time Paul mentions division. But this is quite different from the first, because the first time when he mentions division, he was talking about a groupies. There was groupies within the church. They prefer some teacher above the other, so they separate themselves, and they start going at it. It's like, ah, your teacher don't know what they're talking about. Ah, Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh, no, 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 no. Chris don't know what he's talking about. And, oh, no, Jay doesn't know what he's talking about. And they start going at it, and there was a factions among them, and there was clear division. But here in this sense, it was clearly between the rich and the poor, have and have-nots. 
And so Paul was furious of these matters. And so he had to, in a sense, rebuke the Corinth church and say, what you're doing is not approved by God. And what Christ has done on the cross is not just for the wealthy, but is for the all people. Whether you're rich or poor, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, Asian, brown, black. I don't, it doesn't really matter because Christ sacrificed for all humanity. And that was what was missing in the Corinth church. There were divisions. In both cases, right, it is clear that shaming, humiliation, or dishonoring of other members of the community entailed a failure to honor God, who established and ruled over the community, and whose honor was tied to that shown to and among the members of the covenant community. So his disapproval of it. Now I got to go fast here because I see the time clock is running down. So here we go. Verse 23, it talks about tradition that he received from his former or previous apostles. And there's a certain way suppose, you're supposed to observe the Lord's Supper. But the most important verse in the next section is a saying of remembrance. You are remembering of what Christ has done on the cross. And that's what Paul was saying. It's, it's in, in, when we observe this, when we observe the Lord's Supper, we're remembering the body that was broken on our behalf and the blood that was spilled on our, for our sins. And that's why we observe the Lord's Supper. And it is an act of remembrance. As I mentioned earlier about the Jewish way of observing the Passover year after year, they do it out of remembrance. They remember what God has done. And in a sense for us, when we observe the Lord's Supper, we do the same. We are remembering what Christ has done on the cross, the death and the resurrection of our Lord. Verse 25, Jesus is saying here that the shedding of blood means the establishing that a new covenant. See, what Jesus has done on the cross is not just, see, blood is, doesn't mean just we're cleansed from sin. I think a lot of times we forget there is other elements that are playing here, which is there is a setting of a new covenant. God is creating, establishing new covenant through the body and the blood of our Lord. And so when we partake of the Lord's Supper, what we're really doing is we are remembering and reminding that our covenant is with Him. Because of His sacrifice, what He has done on the cross, now we are included with Him and now and forever. Verse 27 to 34 mentions a few things that I will, with that I will close. Verse 7, 27, he says, be careful. It's a warning. Don't take it in unworthy manner. And what is unworthy manner? And obviously we know through this text, we know that Obviously, there was a division and there was a faction among them and the way they were observing it, they were missing the point. And they were taking it wrongly. In verse 28, it finishes with saying of examining yourself. When you take the Lord's Supper, what is going through your mind? 
Better yet, let me ask you this question. What does a Lord's Supper mean to you? Do you understand the weight and what actually entails in the Lord's Supper, what Christ has done? Or is it just an ornament you take, things that you just do in church? Because I think one of the reasons of the failure of Christianity is that we forget so easily. And I guess that's all humanity. We forget so quickly what Jesus has done for us. I remember before coming to Christ, sharing just one thing here, never satisfied with anything, never content of anything, always striving something that this will be the answer. And when Christ came, the liberation and the freedom that I received from the Lord, I cannot even explain to you. But I'm sure you have in some form of passion have experienced Christ. And because you have experienced Christ in a new way, you remember what He has done and what it truly means that His sacrifice has done. And that's what we're doing. We are remembering Him and Him alone. And through His sacrifice that we can finally commune with the Father. 2,000 years ago, a single act of obedience changed the course of history. In a sense, all of you are in this room because of the obedience of our Lord. Through this obedience of our Lord, we've been restored to the creator of the universe. Father God of heaven. He's not a distant God. He is personal. So much so he wants and longs to have a relationship with us. He sent his own son because he was the only one that would suffice. We've been renewed. In our spirit, Jesus said, I'm going to send you a helper. Yeah, 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 I'm leaving. I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to go to the cross. But don't worry, I will not leave you as orphans. It's better that I go away because I'm going to send forth the Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter, and I'm going to remind you of all things that I said. Spiritual renewal. And finally, the hope. Oh, this glorious hope of a resurrection. That death has no longer have dominion over us. You see, death, if you believe in Christ, if you have placed your faith in Christ, death has no dominion over us. That we will live eternity with Him in heaven. And the hope. It's amazing. And that's what we're remembering. I would like to ask our worship team to come up. And as I close, I want you to examine yourself. I think in times we come to the servants like this, 
that confronts us. The Word is like a mirror that shines forth and reveals who we truly are. And we find ourselves, whether there is a sin, whether there's struggles, whatever it might be, it's never too late. That's the beauty of the gospel. We can go to Him. And if we confess our sins, He hears us. He's ready to restore us. Let us pray. Father, we are reminded this morning of your grace and your love toward us who didn't deserve any. We are here simply because of God, that your compassion toward us, that you want to long to relationship with us so that you sent yourself. And you are willing to sacrifice your son so that we may have a relationship with you. Father, I just pray for everyone here this morning. Wherever they are in their walk with you, let them reflect the glorious essence of the Lord's Supper. Help them to humble themselves and reflect on their lives in you. In Jesus' name, amen.